the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From Talk 910 KNEW San Francisco, this is Rob Black. Rob talks about your money every weekday, live and local, from 10 to noon. Enjoy the show. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. Once again, Friday. Love this day of the week. As you get older, it seems to get better. When you're younger, you think it's a little overrated. As you get older, you think Mondays are pretty dreadful in, in their own way. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. It's the Rob Black Show. Immediately after the Armstrong and Getty Show. Right snuggled in between Glenn Beck. That's who I am. I'm a financial guy. I'm a money guy. Last night, I found myself in Palo Alto having beers with a professional soccer player, two professional soccer players, and a person who worked at Apple. It's funny. It always comes back to money for it with me. So I, I, just, I couldn't help myself. One of them's retired and heading back to England. I was like, be careful. He's one of the world's most famous defensemen of all time in the world of soccer, uh, Huckerbee. And I said, be careful. When you retire, people are going to start hitting you up for money from your professional days. He's a highly compensated employee, an 8CE. So when he heads back, people are going to hit him up. It's weird. Professional athletes, the lifespan just isn't that long. Joe Cannon, uh, goalkeeper for the San Jose Quakes. Interesting to note that he's kind of apathetic about his money, kind of apathetic about his financial plan, and he he shouldn't be. These are his highest earning years. He's doing great, but he's already bought some product that is questionable. He bought a variable life insurance policy that he doesn't really need. I said, do you have a wife? And he goes, nope. I said, do you have anything? And he goes, nope. So got a cat, got a dog, something along those lines? Not really. Doesn't really need uh, to leave money behind. So life insurance makes no sense, especially variable life insurance. Uh, again, you get life insurance to protect things that you can't afford to lose. But it was a good time. Good time. We went to NOLA in Palo Alto. Nice place. Same company owns town in San Carlos. They've done pretty good for themselves as far as restaurants go. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Now, Wall Street's still in my mind. I'm not supposed to talk about Wall Street for at least the first 15 minutes because the Armstrong and Getty crowd, it's supposed to be all about yucks. Yuck, yuck, yuck. So I'm going to keep in that mindset, right? But let's talk about what we might be doing this weekend, where the wild things are. Big box office weekend for Where the Wild Things Are. I'm not a fan of Where the Wild Things Are. It wasn't my book. It wasn't, it wasn't my kid life story or anything like that. Never got it. I found it kind of dull. But I understand where people do like it. Now, Where the Wild Things Are, it's going to be the big movie this weekend, of Paramount. Paramount Division of Time Warner. They've got the biggest movie of the year. It's Paranormal Activity. Um... Viacom has been building anticipation. Actually, excuse me, it's Viacom that has that. No, no. 
who does have it? Viacom has been building anticipation for the little horror film through its midnight screenings around the country. It opens this weekend in 800 theaters. It's expected to earn $24 million. So that's on top of the $12 million it's already made. Keep in mind, this movie cost $11,000 to make. Now, with that said, this is a land of golden opportunity. The filmmakers who put this together, they got a gold mine on, their, on, their, on themselves. They've got a franchise. They've got the ability to go out and tell the studios, I can make a movie for cheap, and it can bring in big bucks. Sony's got a remake of the 1987 horror film, The Stepfather. That's supposed to come in maybe third with $12 million. Couples Retreat is supposed to fall as well. Zombieland, Sony's surprise hit horror comedy, uh, ranking fifth this weekend with $10 million. Now, what's interesting to note about where the wild things are and paranormal activity is something tangible is happening here. For instance, you can tweet your scream on Twitter tied towards paranormal activity. Now, where the wild things are has got 871,000 fans on its Facebook page, got over 1.5 million devotees now on Facebook tied to where the wild things are. So there's getting this social networking into marketing of movies. The official Twitter account promoting next month's sequel to the romantic vampire movie Twilight. It went live on Monday and by Thursday, it's got 79,000 People, Facebook page for Twilight already has 3.8 million fans. Marketing to these films represents how Hollywood's starting to leverage social networks like Facebook and Twitter. They, quote unquote, have the advantage with all these digital tools of allowing word of mouth to spread faster than before. Now, Where the Wild Things Are, adopted by the Maurice Sindak classic child's tale, it's got one of the biggest, biggest followings now on Facebook. Isn't that just... Tell you something kind of goofy. And at the Facebook page, one of the things that they're giving you is they're giving you an iPhone application. So on top of it, they're, they're really just, just bleeding it as much as they can in the marketing. And again, I don't blame them. I suppose that's one of the nice things about Facebook. I've got a Facebook page. It's ironically called I Hate Rob Black. I Hate Rob Black. You've got to be in a group. So search for I Hate Rob Black and boom, join on in and you could be a fellow hater, so to speak. Got to thinking while I was driving yesterday, horrific traffic. Cars dashboards need to be iPhones. It doesn't have to be sleek and well-designed. It'd be nice if it was sleek and designed, but our cars are so 1960s. And cars aren't gadgets. They're for driving, so there's a safety issue, right? But when you think about it, a car is the ultimate mobile device. So you may think of a cell phone as the ultimate mobile device, but a car is the ultimate mobile device. And automakers need to start getting some consumer electronic companies to, you know, get in. Because this is a great opportunity. This is maybe the last great opportunity of technology. They say it's the TV, but maybe it's the car. So, obviously, computers want to be TVs. TVs want to be computers. You get the idea. More people have TVs than they have uh, computers. So, the car. We're a nation of drivers. That's where technology has to go next. Now, let's talk jobs. How's this for a great, great, you can fire me kind of comment? Ken Lewis. Do you know who Ken Lewis is? Ken Lewis is the outgoing CEO of Bank of America. You know the bank. They're dominant. They're on every single corner, it feels like. He's going to get no salary or bonus for 2009. Now, do you feel bad for him? He's worked this year. 
He's been in front of Congress this year. He's going to get no salary and bonus. The government's pay czar is cracking down on him. And again, I don't like the whole idea of czars. I don't know if you like czars, but I just don't like the idea that the president can appoint very powerful people that don't have to go through the screening of Congress. I don't like that. So this pay czar said, you know, Ken Lewis, you're CEO and you're leaving a company. And in large part, you may be one of the reasons the mortgage crisis happened. He's getting between 69 to $120 million in retirement benefits. I would quit Clear Channel right now if they were to offer me $69 to $120 in retirement benefits. He's going to get $69 million to $120 million. That's out of control. Now, again, maybe that's a good example of why we need a pay czar. I understand CEOs making money while they're in, in office. I don't understand the, the huge retirement golden parachutes. I don't get it. Do you know how many people Bank of America has to uh, hit overdraft fees on to cover $120 million? Do you know how many people they have to raise credit card prices on 1% so as to reap that benefit? That's a lot of money. That's way too much money for one man. And again, I'm the person who says capitalism is wonderful. I just think the board of control is out of control. Uh, the board of um, the board. Uh, they're, they're just not, they're not acting like trustees of the company. They're not acting fiduciarily when you give someone $120 million to leave. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. We've got Phil Ting coming up. Phil Ting, we're going to be talking Prop 13 and the repeal of Prop 13, the ideas around Prop 13. Was it a good idea when it happened? Is it a good idea today? But before we go to Phil Ting, let's talk a little bit about Barbie. Barbie doll sales declining internationally, but Hot Wheels doing very well. And Mattel is an El Segundo-based company, Southern California, for those who don't know. It's the nation's largest toy manufacturer, and today they report profits down 3.5%. What's interesting to note is Barbie, that franchise has been around forever, and Mattel's getting ready to launch a Barbie movie, a live-action movie, and, and try to get kids to care about Barbie again. Try to revive that franchise. Revenue continues to be challenging. Revenues are down about 8% year over year, but they had good earnings. Why? Because they fired people and they controlled costs. They reduced costs. They're trying to rebuild margins. They're trying to generate better cash flow. Last year at this time, they had some big winners. They had toys tied towards Kung Fu Panda. They had toys tied towards Speed Racer, toys tied towards The Dark Knight. That's Batman. This year, not so much. So Mattel's trimming costs. And that's a quality of earnings story. But there's also a product. I want you to see the, the quality of earnings not good. Because you can only fire so many people until you need revenues to go up to make more money. Now, the Barbie live-action movie, again, I want you to see that Wall Street's all about product. It's all about product. Get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Quite sure this is the appropriate song to be playing. Joining me now is Phil Ting. He's the assessor recorder of San Francisco. The song we're playing is from the Ting Tings. How are you, Phil? Hey, good, Rob. How are you doing? Doing well, sir. What is an assessor recorder? What what position is that? The assessor recorder is elected in well, the assessor is elected in every single county in 
the state of California, and we value real estate for property tax purposes. And the recorder is uh, an elected position in some counties, and what we do is we record all the deeds and uh, real estate documents in the county, as well as we're the holder of the marriage certificates, which uh, who would have thought that would be newsworthy, but that is in the last couple of years. Absolutely. Let's get into all of this. Now, you're tied towards assessing real estate. Let's talk about what happened from 2000. Uh, two to 2006, huge bubble. People started speculating. People started chasing. How did that affect your job? I would think it brought in a lot more revenues for the state. Well, it did bring in a significant amount of revenue, but also added, added a ton more work because there's a lot of transactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what it also did was, um, I think, set expectations up in certain counties that we were going to get a certain amount of revenue for a long time. And what you're seeing is that those revenues have dropped 30 40% in number of counties. In San Francisco, we've actually gone up 7% in one year because uh, we really don't have that much building. We, you know, even though our property values are down a little bit, we're the strongest market in California. Okay. Now, the 2002 to 2006 was kind of a gold rush for real estate. It created a bubble. Now, what happened from 2006 to 2008 in, in your position? Well, well, you know, my position is a little bit different than the other counties. What other counties have done is they've done significant reductions across the board. Okay. Uh, for the first time in about 15 years, we did reductions this year to homeowners, meaning before the fiscal year ended, we gave uh, 10,000 property owners a reduction in property taxes. And then additionally, we had a couple thousand applications, and we gave another 1,500 uh, homeowners a reduction, which is about 11,500 homeowners in San Francisco, which is actually quite a bit. But when you compare it to Santa Clara and Alameda, they did that for 98,000 homeowners. And then Riverside and Sacramento did it for about 200,000 homeowners. So um, you can see there's quite a difference in markets you know, between counties up and down the state. So it's good to be in San Francisco is it's, what you're saying. Well, it's good to own property in San Francisco. Okay. There's no question. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, if people want to appeal what their home is worth, what is that process? Because it seems like that goes through your office. Absolutely. Well, there's a two-pronged process. We say always come to our office. We have a process called an informal appeal, uh, informal review, which you can apply. Uh, we did it between April and end of August this year, uh, and then we promised people we were going to review that and get back to them. But if we didn't get back to you in time, that you had to file an appeal at the appeals deadline with the assessment appeals board, and every county has an assessment appeals board, so it's the same whether you're in Contra Costa or Alameda or Riverside. Uh, you apply it to them. Uh, our deadline in San Francisco is September 15th. In some other counties, it's November 15th. So it just uh, depends on where you live. But they had to file a formal appeal by that deadline. And so we're in the process of reviewing all those. And just to give you an idea, we uh, are anticipating about 5,000 appeals this year, and that's up from about 1,000 two years ago. Speaking with the assessor recorder of San Francisco, Phil Ting. Phil, you're known as reformer. How do you be a reformer when you're dealing with real estate appraisal prices? Well, what we did is, in San Francisco, unfortunately, our office was considered not very well run. I know it's sort of shocking to hear that about San Francisco city government. Uh, But what we did when we went in there was, you know, find a way to work with exactly the same staff. We've had very little staff turnover and figure out what we could do to help them do their job more efficiently. So what we tried to do was uh, upgrade some of the computer systems, 
uh, streamlined some of the processes, have uh, single points of contact so people knew what the roles and responsibilities were for certain people. <clears throat> we actually implemented a standards division, which is you know very similar to what other assessors do, and that's the, the basically saying, hey, you know, for these situations, here's what you do. For those situations, here's what you do. I mean, we had really good folks, very smart people, very talented, but and they were trying to do their best job, but unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of guidance. And I'll tell you, just by doing some of those things, we brought in $130 million above, above our budget the first three years I was in office. And a lot of that was because we had a backlog. Uh, we had a backlog of properties that were purchased that, that went on for like four or five years, meaning that if you purchased a property five years ago, you might not have got reassessed for five years, which is crazy. Now, let's jump into, I think, what's a political hotbed, Phil, and I, I know you're outspoken on this. Prop 13. Give us a little history of Prop 13. Well, Prop 13, as, as you know, Rob, was passed by the voters in 1978, and it said three very simple things, is that assessed values were going to be frozen in, as of 1975 values, and the only time they would be reassessed would be when you sold the property or when you built something significant to the property, like if you had a piece of land and you built a house. Uh, it said another thing, which is the tax rate's going to be 1%, and it said the last thing was that we can only grow that per inflation up to 2% a year. That's it. Uh, what most people don't realize is Prop 13 covers every single property in California, not just uh, your home, but it covers Disneyland, it covers Universal Studios, covers Great America, covers whatever mall you go into. Uh, it covers every piece of property in San Francisco, I mean, in California. And I think what I've, what I've raised with uh, our campaign called Close the Loophole is a question during these tough fiscal times, whether we should be paying more because other people are paying less. And really, how fair is that? Just because property taxes are supposed to be taxed based on the value of the property you own, which is not happening in California. Property taxes are being taxed based on when you purchase your property. So if you happen to be fortunate enough to be able to buy property in 1975, I, I wasn't, I, I, I was uh, six years old at that point, um, then you could uh, benefit. But if you didn't have that opportunity, then you know you want to buy today. Well, you're paying ten, twenty times more for the same property in terms of office uh, buildings than the person next door. And our, what we're talking about is, we think that there's there's a logical reason to keep protecting homeowners. Uh, we don't want anybody to lose their home. Let's keep Prop 13 protection for homeowners. But the question is, is for for all the commercial property owners, does that continue to make sense? Uh, we've got to make tough decisions. We're making unpopular choices. But does that continue to make sense that we, as homeowners, should pay more because uh, they're paying less? And let, let me just give you a quick stat, Rob. Sure. In San Francisco, 30 years ago, in terms of share of property taxes, commercial properties paid 59% of the property taxes here in San Francisco, pre-Prop 13. That means residential paid 41. Today it's flip-flop. Residential pays 53 and commercial pays 47. And we haven't seen a residential building boom, so there's no reason for residential to pay more. But in fact, what happens is Prop 13 actually created this. I, so, have, I have problems with Prop 13 on so many levels because I came from out of state. and <laughs> So you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know how extreme it is. And it's crazy because my neighbor's been in the house for 50 years, and basically the, the mom and dad have died and the son just moved in, and he's oh. inherited that Prop 13. That's right. And that's, that seems wrong to me. That seems like it's, it's going around the issue. Well, unfortunately, the voters approved that. That was a, a proposition the voters approved after Prop 13, saying that uh, parents could leave their children that home and keep that protection. And I think, 
I, I, I think that while it's not fair, there's a lot of decent reasons to keep Prop 13 for residential, which is that, again, at a base level, we don't want someone losing their home, especially as they get older and they're on fixed income and, these, and the home prices have gone up three, four, or five times uh, since they've been in their homes. I think we don't, we don't want them to do that. So I think the question is, is, is can we reform Prop 13 for commercial property? It, or, and should we? It should we reform Prop 13 for commercial property. The Board of Equalization thinks that by taking away the Prop 13 protection, the subsidy for commercial property, that we could generate about $7.5 billion a year for California. Now, that's not the $26 billion that's the deficit, but it's a third of the way there, which is pretty significant. And, and let me give another angle on this, Phil, because and tell me if I'm wrong here. Um, I live in San Carlos. Mm-hmm. Great little, Great little town. Great neighborhood, yep. And uh, there's a sports bar there that stinks. It's awful. It's it. And the guy, I want to open a sports bar and compete with him, but he's got such a low tax basis. He's going to be able to make more money than me or offer food and beer less than me. So it's anti-competitive. It, it hurts competition. You, you are absolutely right, Rob. And I think that uh, it's interesting because a lot of people from the business community says, well, if you get rid of Prop 13, it's going to kill business. Well, what's interesting to me is I think Prop 13 kills new business, just right. like what you talked about. I mean, if I wanted to go buy a small office building today anywhere in the state, it'd be hard to compete because chances are next door or close by is somebody who owns that property for 30 years or 20 years or 15 years. Uh, and how do I compete? Because their property taxes are one-tenth of what I pay. Well, and, and we can only charge the same rent because there's a thing called market rent. It's, it's, the, it's the market that we're in. And the consumer is only going to pay so much for rent. So that's that's the cap. I want to keep you around for one more segment. I'm speaking with Assessor Recorder of San Francisco, Phil Ting. We're talking a little Prop 13. I'm going to blend in some of the business side, some of the personal side, because it's an issue that it makes the phone rings. People get upset by this. If people want to call 800-345-5639, it's 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show. This is one of the hottest, most controversial topics in all of California. I'm Rob Black. More stimulating talk. It's the Rob Black Show. 9, 10 a.m. Accessory quarter of San Francisco. Phil Ting is with me. Phil, we are talking about Prop 13 when we last went to break and you want to reform it, and you want corporations to pay their fair share. Is the, over the years they've kind of lost their way in that, so to speak. Um, what do you think about Prop Thirteen overall? Is it is it twenty first century? Because at the time in the seventies, it seems like it was good. We had a lot of money. The state of California was doing good. Uh, education was good. But it seems like maybe in the last thirty years that Prop Thirteen has hurt education. Any truth to that? Well, I think there's a lot of truth there. I think Prop 13 has almost decimated public education in California. I mean, when before Prop 13, we ranked uh, right before Prop 13, we were 15th, I think, in per pupil spending. I think prior to that, 10 years prior to that, we were fifth, and now we're 47th out of 50. 47th out of 50. New York and New Jersey spend almost twice as much per pupil than we do. They spend about 14 and a half thousand per pupil. We spend about 8,000 per pupil. So. You know, I know money's not everything, but money tells you a lot. And 
if you look at really what made our economy great in California, why we used to be the fifth largest economy, all you have to do is look at our great K-12 through system. You have to look at UC and Cal State and all the great community colleges we had up and down the state so that not only people could get a college education, but they could get vocational training. They could get trained to do any kind of work here in the state. That's when we invested in our future. Right now, we have a budget that doesn't invest in our future. What it says is, hey, to our kids, hey, can you pay for my bills tomorrow that I'm spending today? Because I don't have enough money to buy all the stuff that I want to buy, so you're going to have to pay for it. That's unprecedented in California and American history. To get a repeal of Prop 13, it seems like you'd have to take an act of God, Phil. It, it probably would. It means uh, the California voters would have to decide that uh, they're up for that. And I think the only way we could do it, because the voters at this point right now are, are tired of hearing about any sort of revenue increases at all. Right. It would have to be coupled with a significant expense reduction. Right. Even what, even what I said is even just taking care of this commercial loophole, it's only $7.5 billion, and our deficit is $26 billion versus $7.5 billion. So where do you come with the rest of the money? We have to do other revenue enhancements, but we're going to have to cut a lot of money. And I think there are people out there going, well, why can't we just cut all $26 billion? Very reasonable question. So let me just tell you what $26 billion equals in the California budget. If you got rid of corrections, all the prisons, right. every single one, $10 billion. That's $10 billion. So you're still not there yet. So how do we get to 26? Well, you could get rid of higher education in the state. That means closing every community college, every Cal State University, every UC, every single one, plus all the staff that works with them. That's another $13 billion. So that's, that gets you pretty much just about there, $23 billion. So that's how you do it. So we're we're at a point. But Phil, you can't do that. Can you can't you? do that. Absolutely. Okay. okay, I'm just. I'm. I'm... Oh, I agree. Right. Okay. So, but but you're going to have to do some of each. Okay. Right. So you're probably going to have to raise half of the money to get there, and try and find ways to cut it. You know what we're doing now is we're just borrowing money. Right. And, and you know that being a financial person, all borrowing money is you're just deferring the payment till later. It doesn't mean you don't owe the money. It just means you're not paying it today. You basically just try to stay cash flow alive. Exactly. Service right. your bills and, and hope and, they don't and, balloon. And, and that's becoming less and less an option because now Wall Street's on to us. And Wall Street said, hey, California, we know you're the richest state of the union, but so what? Your bond rating's about, I think, two ratings above junk. Right. Right now, we're, we're at a, uh, a triple B. I think Fitch rated us a triple B bond rating. Moody's has us at a BAA1 bond rating. Again, let's get back to the realistic side of this reform. Do you think it's going to happen in your lifetime? You know, I think it could. I, I think we're okay. at a point where we are at a fiscal catastrophe right now. Um, I know people constantly hear that, but, you know, when you're issuing IOUs, yeah. you know, I don't think most of us issue IOUs to get through the day. But we're, we're issuing IOUs as one of the richest states. So it'd be like the richest person in San Francisco saying, oh, you know what, um, I can't afford to pay my maid or my butler. I'm going to issue them IOUs. I mean, that's really what we're doing. These IOUs are going to small businesses who are doing work for the state, and we're saying, sorry, we can't pay you today. So I, I think it is because voters just see that as absolutely irresponsible. Uh, we've seen polling lately from PPIC. I think Field just came out with a similar poll saying um, – 
that a majority of the people believe that residential property owners should pay lower property taxes than commercial property owners. Right now, they're all paying the same. So I, I think there is a little bit of interest. What we also heard is most people, most people, and I, I think it's 60, 70 percent people, don't even realize commercial property is covered by Prop 13. Right. Because we've heard this urban legend for so long that Prop 13 is about homeowners, homeowners, homeowners. And, and it's true. But it's also about office buildings and industrial parks and warehouses and Disneyland and Universal Studios and Capitol Records and all those other wonderful buildings, too. I'm going to go against you slightly, and I would like to see sure. it um, grandfathered out I, I think for residents. Or, or what, or, well, you know, and I think that, that what, what voters have said is that really might take an act of God <laughs> to do right. that. And, you know, you, and I think whatever why. approach we use, I think we have to phase out Prop 13. It shouldn't be done tomorrow. It shouldn't be, okay, one day it's like this, and tomorrow probably should be a gradual approach. I'll tell you why, Phil. I think that it should be grandfathered out because I think it hurts our community. Um, young people have to go out and live in Stockton. Mm-hmm. They have to go out and live 10, 15 miles east of the Bay Bridge because they can't afford to live in Palo Alto or San Carlos because the elderly stay in California. And it's great to have your grandparents in your community. Mm-hmm. But in every other state, we send our grandparents to Florida or Arizona when they can no longer afford the property tax or the cost of living, of living in a big city. Um, and this is a big city. This is a, an expensive area to live. This is the you know prime real estate. This is New York City of the yeah, West Coast. That's right. Um, and I think I have, I have a hard time arguing against you, Rob. Okay. So you're with me. We should send old people to Florida? Well, I don't know about that, but I'm just saying, you know, I, what Prop 13 is not, it's not, it's not fair, and I don't know that it is the best fiscal policy. And, and because of that, frankly, what we do is, because we haven't been able to really fairly tap property taxes, right. we're the highest in sales taxes, we're the highest in corporate income taxes, we're the highest in everything else across the board. And corporations are leaving the state. Yeah. In, Intel's got a bigger presence in Oregon than they do in California. Right. That's crazy. And, and you know, as a, as a city in San Francisco, we have payroll taxes. And, you know, at a, at a time when we need jobs, is it really the best use to have payroll taxes? I'm with you. Now, whereas whereas prop, the good thing about property is property can't leave the state, by definition. At some point in time, though, Detroit once was a powerful city, and Cleveland was a powerful city, and um, Pittsburgh was a powerful city, and they lost their power because they, they, they stayed on too many assumptions that things will always be good. That's right. So it's, that's my nervousness. Well, and I agree, and I think that's why we have to keep investing in the future, right? So what what made California great was we, you know, Pat Brown built this incredible highway system so we could get things, we could get commerce between Southern and Northern California very quickly, very easily. We had the best education system. You know, if you're looking at opening a company, the reason people open companies in the state here because the talent pool is here. Right. But the talent pool is not going to stay here forever if, they, one, they can't afford to buy a home, and they have no place to send their kids to school. If they got to pay three times as much for a home, and then they got to go to private school and pay $25,000 a year for private school, who's going to live here? You're not going to get the people to move from Denver to here. They're going to stay in Denver. So when will we look for a ballot initiative on Prop 13 from you? Well, I, I think for us, is it's, it wouldn't just be for me. It would be from a large coalition of folks, because if we can't build the coalition, there's no point in moving forward with the ballot measure. The soonest I would want to do anything is 2012, and, and partly is because most people have no idea that commercial property is covered by Prop 13. So if most people don't even know what the situation is, that's a huge amount of education we have to do. And that's why it would take that long, um, that, that long just to let people know what the real deal is.
Well, you can count on me, Phil. I'll get the message out whenever you need me to. Great. I appreciate you coming on. He's the assessor recorder of San Francisco, Phil Ting. Smart guy. Um, We need more smart guys in our political system. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Coming up, I'm going to be talking about how airlines treat travelers from a Wall Street Journal article. I'm going to be speaking with Scott McCartney. Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk is our new tagline. Let's pull in Randy. Randy in Oakland. So somehow housing is going to become more affordable by raising property taxes. Is that what I'm to understand here? I never said that. Well, let's see. I caught the tail end of this guy wanting to phase out Prop 13 and somehow... He wants to phase it out on businesses, not on, on residents. Businesses don't pay taxes. You know that. Have you not explained that to your listeners yet? Businesses pay taxes. They do, huh? Absolutely. Property tax? They, they just collect taxes. Don't you understand that as an economist? And then they Businesses collect the taxes? What are you exactly. talking about? Wow. Isn't this economics 101? The cost of doing business, businesses have to operate within a margin. You raise taxes on you're, them. You're goofing on me, right? On you're goofing on me. You're, you're playing like this up. You're not really angry, are you? Because you're making no sense. Businesses don't have to operate within a margin. You think businesses collect taxes, and you don't think that they pay property taxes? They collect. Of course, they they pay taxes if that's what you want to call it. But where do they get the money to pay the taxes? Transactions. Business and transactions with whom? Consumers. T- okay. Who pay? Who pay? In effect, the taxes that have to... Businesses don't pay taxes. They collect taxes from their customers and then forward them to... Do you own a business? Uh, Yeah, of of sorts. What business do you own? I have an income property, but I I just... just, And you don't pay pay property taxes? Did you hear what I just... Do you pay property taxes? Of course, and where do I get the property taxes that I pay? Would you not want all that money in your... Wouldn't you want all that profit... You, are you paying the property taxes because you have to or because you want to? You'd rather have more profit, wouldn't you? Randy, you could actually be economically retarded. I'm the, uh, who, who's got this backwards here? You make it sound like I'm going to have more money if I pay more taxes? I never said that. You, you asked me if I wanted more profit. I'm going to get, I'm going to have, I'm going to have, have more profit, profit if you didn't pay property taxes, right? Of course. Okay, and you're saying business? I don't get you. Maybe I misunderstand the, what, what was being discussed. It's, what was being discussed? And maybe you should have heard it before you called in, because you're what's wrong with America. You make judgments before you know the facts. Oh, here's we talked about repealing. We talked about repealing property taxes from Prop 13 on businesses. For instance, right now, Capital Records, they've owned a piece of property since the early 1900s. They're paying property taxes from 1970s. If you want to start a record company, you would be paying much higher percentage of taxes than, say, Capital Records. And that's not business fair. You can't compete with them when they're paying 90% less taxes than you are. No, I, I do have it right, because what, in effect, what... They don't have it right. I do, too. This guy wants to raise taxes, as though... As where, where did he say he wanted to raise taxes? 
that's what this will do if you if you uh, phase out property. How would it raise taxes? Because it'll increase property taxes on businesses. Okay. Like capital. Rec- and how would that raise taxes? What do you mean? Won't they have their property reassessed at ten times the value, and now their property tax will be ten times what it is? Could be phased Am I out. Understanding that? Did you hear the statistic that back in nineteen seventies? 60% of the taxes collected in the state of California on on property were tied towards residents, were tied towards commercial. Now it's 40%. So the number's been flipped. Residents are paying a higher share. Uh, well, thanks, thanks for the call, Andy. Thanks for the call. Economically retarded. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Let's go to Scott McCartney cracking down. Ooh, Scott's not there. What happened to Scott? Uh, next segment, 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Um, we're going to talk about cracking down on airline travelers. But before we do that, Senate Democrats, they're talking about widening insurance coverage and sweeping health care reform legislation. This is just, it gets hair and gets more hair on it and more hair. Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus, he says that he's facing a struggle to come up with ways to pay for the extra spending now, liberal lawmakers, they're looking at that, that 10-year, $829 billion package approved by the Senate Finance Committee. They don't think it goes far enough to expand health care coverage. So they got the health care coverage bill out of the finance. Now they're trying to hammer out some of the other details on it. But they're also trying to say, maybe what we're going to have to do is come up with another bill to get everything that we truly want. So the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office said the bill would ensure that 94% of non-elderly Americans are covered by health insurance in 2019. That's up from 83% in 2010. Senate Democrats may add some subsidies for lower-income families to push that percentage to 95 or 96%. One option that came out of the Finance Committee office was maybe we tax um, health care plans, big health care plans. They pay a larger tax. But unions instantly came out of that and said, hey, we're big health care plans. We don't want to pay a higher tax. So anyway, you kind of get the idea on that. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's going to be interesting to see what actually lives in this health care legislation, what gets reformed and what gets ignored or what gets added on to it later in a separate bill. Let's go to Rick and Martinez. Rick. Hi, Rob. How you doing? I'm not uh, retarded, but I have a kind of a question. I can get into a 403B through California State Teachers Retirement. Yep. Or should I do a privately owned Roth IRA because uh, the 403B limits my choices of investments? Good question. What are some of the choices in your 403B? Uh we got annuities, variable annuities, fidelity. Most of the fun families they give are uh, front-loaded or back-loaded and high expenses, and I prefer to stay uh, with ETFs or, or things with no load. Do they give you the option of doing ETFs through fidelity? Not through the 403B, but through a Roth IRA, I can. Okay, I'm with you. Now, the 403B is going to be useful in lowering your taxable income, whereas the Roth would be more useful in choosing options that you are more agreeable to. But that's going to be after tax money, whereas the 403B is going to be pre-tax money. So I'm going to say you're going to probably want to do the 403B unless you just absolutely can't find anything good in there. Because for every dollar you put in the 403B, you're not paying state or federal taxes. You're not paying Social Security taxes. 
So for every dollar that you put in the Roth, you've already you're putting seventy cents in because you've had to pay federal and state and other income taxes and uh, tied towards the after after um, tax dollar. Does that make sense? Yeah, but as teachers, we don't get Social Security tax because of the Calsters or the PERS. Yeah, the, the, the Social Security like tax is small. You still would get the state and federal tax. Right, right. So, I've been listening to that Ray Lucia bit. I know you don't want to talk about that. But I, don't, I have no problem talking about that. Ray Lucia buys radio time. He's an infomercial. He's totally different than what I do. Every time I've called him, they've tried to sell me something instead of give information. That's why I listen to Rob back, brother. One of the things that he does is, one of his tricks is to say, hold on the line, Rick. I'll pick up your call during the commercial break. And all that is is a sales pitch. That's my complaint, Rob. That's why I like your show. Yep. Keep up the good work. And then on top of that, I'll tell you another thing that Lucia does bad, and thanks for the call, is he does private real estate investment trusts. And that's one of those places that earlier this week I, I kind of hit a hot topic when I said the insurance industry needs to be uh, tougher regulated. Real estate needs to be, have tougher regulations or restrictions or barriers to entry. Same thing with the financial markets. But people like him, I find him appalling, Mr. Lucia, in large part because he does private real estate investment trust. And he doesn't disclose to you he's getting a huge kickback on that. So if he places $100,000 into a private REIT, he's getting $9,000 in his pocket. That's just sick. And again, it's tough for you to win in that. Now, it's product that does work. Private REITs are okay. But it's too expensive for the average person to really be thinking about them. And I, just because they're not you know, traded on the stock market, he cites that as a good thing because if the stock market goes down, well, your private REIT doesn't. Well, it actually does go down. It's just you can't see it in the newspaper, per se. So I'm not a big fan of Ray Lucia's. Um, I think he does a lot of good, but I think he does a lot of bad as well, and no one holds him accountable for it. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. You know who's liking the weaker dollar? A lot of us don't like the weaker dollar. A lot of us cite that you know it's bad for the long term. But for the short term, when you're in a recession, it's a great thing. In large part, American companies can make things cheaper to foreign buyers or make things look cheaper and actually be cheaper. The dollar is helping a lot of U.S. companies boost overseas sales right now. The weakening dollar also gives domestic U.S. companies a competitive edge at home, uh, making their products cheaper than rival imports. So our car companies are benefiting right now because foreigners could buy more car for less buck, or they can get more bang for their buck, so to speak. But also for the domestic players... If they were selling their cars overseas, it would be killing them if it was a strong dollar. That weak dollar is helping them sell their cars overseas. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Coming up in the next segment, I'm going to be talking with a Wall Street Journal reporter, Scott McCartney. I'm Rob Black. You're listening to The Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.